Lord, we are so glad that you chose us. You chose us, you redeemed us, you loved us. And you're going to welcome us back to be by your side. This morning, Lord, would you just be very real in our presence? Would you stir our spirit to receive your word with gladness? Would you anoint Dr. Raj with your power and your wisdom as he delivers uh, your word? And then may we choose to love and to obey you. So thank you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, guys. Would you turn your Bibles to uh, Joshua chapter 23, 24, and put your finger there. We're going to get there in a few minutes. Okay, so um, I have this friend. Her name is not really Shelley, but we'll call her that today. And um, I got to know her when I first came to Christ when I was about 17. This is like, what, 1998? Um, and at that time, um, she was one of the youth leaders within the first church that I attended. And she's one of those, you know, super garang, like super on fire, everything chong, you know, type. And you know, that's, there's that song that goes, you know, I will run to the altar. Well, she was the only person that I knew who really did that. Whenever there was an altar call or something, she'd be the first one, like, like you know, just rushing up to the front. And I remember her making so many commitments uh, to all sorts of things, you know, to to missions, to following God, to, you know, a, a variety of things. And then now, uh, what, 12 years later, um, she's very, very far away from God. And it's not the case that she has stopped believing. She still believes in God. She still believes the gospel. But it's just that she's been through such a tough life. You know, she's been through this series of, um, of bad relationships, um, family issues, abusive parents, and eventually, she basically just stopped being committed to God, although she, doesn't, she hasn't stopped believing in Him. And I know so many people who've been through similar kind of situations. I can see a couple of people nodding, so it looks like some of you have come across that kind of circumstance as well. People who haven't stopped believing in God or who haven't stopped believing in the gospel, but because of disappointments, have found it very difficult to sustain a commitment to God. And those disappointments come in a variety of ways. It can be things that they have valued very deeply, which they have lost. Something like a, a child or, or their health or their spouse or something that they've invested themselves in for many, many years, their, their work or their career. And in a day or in a period, it is just allowed to be taken away from them. Or, or other people who feel disappointed with God because there's something that they really wanted, something legitimate, something good that they've wanted for a long time and they've waited, they've prayed, they've trusted in God and yet that has not come to pass. A, a spouse or a child or a relationship or something good that they haven't been able to get. And these kind of disappointments with God are, are corrosive to our commitment to God. They're, they challenge our commitment God, to God. But what do we do about that? How do we stand firm despite that? The text that we're looking at today in Joshua 24, it's a really familiar passage, right? Just like Joshua 1, this is one of those like few parts of uh, Joshua that everybody kind of knows. Um, Joshua 
gathers all of the people of Israel and he says, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then the people answered, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. And so they make that commitment to God. And later on in verse 31, you see that Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And so they made a commitment and they kept it. And if you look at this text on its surface, it doesn't seem to address the issues of disappointment with God and how to sustain our commitments to God. And yet, I would argue that if you unpack the text in all of its richness, all of its details, it has a huge range of implications, some of which touch on the issue of our disappointments with God and how do we maintain our commitment to God despite that, right? So, um, you're aware that this is the last sermon in a series on the book of Joshua. When I introduced it on the 11th of May, I suggested to you that you can think of the whole book of Joshua, uh, 24 chapters, in these four big sections. There's the introduction bits, there's a whole bit about the conquest of the land, there's a whole part about the division of the land, and then finally there's the concluding chapters. And uh, I spoke on the 11th of May about the issue of holy war and harem and tried to show you that within the text of the whole Bible. Um, after that, um, Kapo spoke on the 18th of May from uh, chapters 5 to 7 about the issue of consecration. Uh, Pastor Kokfai spoke about the recap of capping, and at the same time, he used ideas from the whole book of Joshua and the whole, whole Pentateuch, you know, Genesis to Deuteronomy, to talk about the issue of conquering the land, entering the land. Uh, last week, Richard Jia spoke about the issue of um, the awesomeness of God and of looking at his work in the life of Caleb. And finally, today, I'm going to try and uh, put some of these things together. Now, those of you who've been in some of my sermons before, you're aware of what uh, this symbol means, right? I can already see a bit of kind of nervous looks. Yes, you know, uh, this means, you know, it's going to be a tough sermon, so now's the time to buckle up. But I want to let you know that today I'm going to turn off the symbol, so it's going to be a relatively lighter one. But um, at the end, for about 10-15 minutes, we're going to spend some time praying with one another. And so I want you to look around at the people that are close to you right now. If you're sitting near someone that you really don't like, right, uh, over the next about half an hour, it'll be good for you to pretend to go to the toilet and then come back and sit somewhere else. I'll probably see you, but I won't tell anybody, okay? All right, so, um, so the whole Joshua 23 and 24, these two chapters, they are a call to commitment, a call to follow God and only Jehovah God and not any other God. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time in uh, Joshua chapter 23, but you can see in the first part of 20, 23, uh, it sets the scene. Joshua chapter 23, verse 1 and 2. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, and now for the rest of chapter 23, you've got three calls to obedience. And if you read through chapter 23 and you kind of pick out the kind of big things that Joshua is saying, it basically breaks down into this. Two big points that Joshua makes as he calls for commitment. The first thing that he says is that God has rescued you. God has blessed you. And the second big point he makes is, and therefore serve him only and not some other God. And he repeats this three times. You see the same 
call happening from verse 1 to 8, verse 9 to 13, and then verse 14 to 16. And so that's basically the same thing that I can see some of you like looking around me, so move here. Um, so that's the same thing that uh, Joshua says three times uh, in chapter 23. And then when we get to chapter 24, I'm going to read out from the beginning. I'm going to read out from the English Standard Version. It's a long text, so you'd want to look at your own uh, text in your Bible. Here we go, Joshua chapter 24, verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and, shum- and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And so again, it sounds very similar to the way that chapter 23 began. The difference is that here it is gathering at a different place, Shechem. The earlier one was probably at uh, Shiloh. And here it sounds like he's gathering all the representatives of the heads of Israel. And the language that's used to describe this chapter 24 gathering, if you look at other literature of that period, the language that is used to to describe this gathering, verse 24, seems to be legal language, formal language. And so this in chapter 24 looks like it's a formal covenant renewal ceremony, whereas in chapter 23 it is a more informal exhortation, like a sermon that Joshua was telling to his people. And so now we're looking at the rest of chapter 24, and that looks like a formal covenant renewal ceremony. So chapter 24, verse 2. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Sarah to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. And so here Joshua is recapping the events from Genesis 12 all the way to Exodus, to the end of Exodus. Now I'm reading from uh, chapter 24, verse 8 onwards. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did to Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness for a long time. And then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you. And I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam the son of Beor to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also against the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebushites. And I gave them into your hand, and I sent the hornets before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant." And so here, Joshua is recapping again the history through the Exodus, through Numbers, Deuteronomy, and also 
Joshua about all of the conquests that have occurred before. And so this is what Joshua lays out in the beginning of this covenant renewal ceremony. He says, remember, look, this is what God has done. And he says basically the same thing that he did back in chapter 23, but in greater detail, at greater length, that God has rescued you from Egypt and God has blessed you by fulfilling his promises to bring you into this land. And after that, in verse 14 to 18, you find the, the meat of this call to commitment by Joshua. And I'm going to read this out. This is Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, again from the English Standard Version. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Verse 18, and then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved in us and preserved us in all the way that we, were, that we went and, along, and among all the peoples through whom we, we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we will serve the Lord, for he is our God. And so Joshua has told these people, God has saved you and God has blessed you and therefore serve him. And their response demonstrates that that's what they've caught and that's what they've agreed to. That yes, because he has saved us, because he has rescued us from Egypt, because he has fulfilled his promises to our forefathers to bring us into this land, for this reason we will serve him, and we will serve him only. Now Joshua's response to this in verse 19 onwards is a bit weird, especially verse 19. I'm going to read that out for you now, and it's on the screen. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. And on the surface, that seems to be a kind of weird thing for Joshua to say. He's just asked them, right? Serve the Lord. Now he says, no, actually you cannot. And he actually makes two statements here that on the surface seem a bit puzzling. But if we kind of read carefully, you find that it's a bit easier to understand. So he makes two statements. So the first thing is that you are not able to serve the Lord. And he can't literally mean this, that you are not able to serve the Lord. First thing, in two reasons. The first reason, because he just asked them to. And the second reason, because of this. In verse 31, the writer of the book of Joshua records that that's what they were able to do. Verse 31, I'm reading out. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the works that the Lord did for Israel. So, it is not the case that Joshua is asking them to do something that is really, literally impossible. A better way to understand this is that what Joshua is telling them is that, wait, don't just say yes. Don't just make this commitment. It's not a small thing. It's not a trivial thing. It's not a thoughtless thing that you just make. Be aware how serious a commitment this is. And think before you make that commitment. 
And the second thing that, that Joshua says that seems a bit weird is this. Um, the second part of verse 19, he's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. And again, this sounds like it's describing a an unforgiving God, a God that has got no forgiveness or ability to overlook sins. And again, this, this can't be what he means literally, right? At least in part because the core identity of God in this part of the scriptures, in the Pentateuch, in the books that just uh, preceded the book of Joshua, is that of a forgiving God. One of the most important texts in the entire Bible is in Exodus chapter 34, verse uh, 6 to 7, where God describes himself. Very few parts in the Bible where you've got God describing himself. And this is where God appears to Moses and lets his glory pass before him. And this is what God says, and I'm reading from Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, this is the voice of God, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And so a core part of God's identity revealed to Moses, just the predecessor of Joshua, is that he's a forgiving God. And so he can't literally mean here that you know God doesn't forgive any sins. Maybe a better way to understand Joshua's response in verse 19 is that if you sin to the point of departing from God, of following other gods, not God, and this is what he has in mind, remember, in this whole chapter, where he's asking the Israelites to follow God and not other gods. If you sin to the point of apostasy, of falling away from God, then there's no forgiveness left. And that's a message that's consistent with the rest of this part of the Bible. And so, God, Joshua's call to commitment parallels the same thing that he said in chapter 23 and now repeated in 24. God has rescued you, God has blessed you, and therefore serve him only. Now, note something, the people to whom that Joshua is speaking to now, right, this generation was born in the wilderness of numbers. They were not the ones who experienced the exodus. They hadn't seen with their own eyes coming out of Egypt, and yet to them, the exodus is presented as the reason for their obedience. And God's call, and calls to commitment throughout the Old Testament, many, many places where the prophets or the leaders of the people of God call the people of God to recommit themselves to God, to obey God, to remain faithful to God, to let go of other gods, they all follow the same pattern. And they look back at the fact that God has already rescued them, that he has already blessed them. And then they say, for this reason, therefore, serve him and serve him only. This narrative that we're reading in Joshua chapter 23, it probably occurs in the 12th or 14th century, let's say about, you know, 1200, 1400 BC. And this same idea remains with, with Israel throughout the stretch of the Old Testament. About 500 years later, in the time of the 
Psalms. Sorry, I mean, let, let me go back. So just before Joshua, the generation before Joshua was given that same message. In Exodus chapter 20, when the Ten Commandments are given to the people of Israel by Moses, the Ten Commands be, Commandments begin like this. The Ten Commandments do not begin with, you shall have no other gods before me. It begins with, I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I have rescued you. And therefore, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. So that same pattern happens in the generation before Joshua's. And 500 years after Joshua, in the time of the Psalms, again, it's the same remembrance of God's rescue from Egypt. I'm reading from Psalm 136. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt for his steadfast love endures forever and brought Israel out from among them for his steadfast love endures forever with a strong hand and an outstretched arm for his steadfast love endures forever. Who him who divided the Red Sea in two for his steadfast love endures forever. And the rest of Psalm 136 proceeds just like this. Recalling God's works, recalling God's works, recalling God's rescue. And that is presented as a reason for their continued commitment, for their continued faithfulness to God. And if you forward another 500 years to about the end of the Old Testament, to the book of Malachi at the end of the whole Old Testament, here you've got a people who've now been destroyed, exiled by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And after that, under Persia, they've been restored. Uh, smaller, weaker Israel, still under the, dom- the, the, the domination of a foreign power. And these people, they look around, they've rebuilt the temple. They've done everything that the prophets have asked them to do. They've done everything that Ezra and Nehemiah asked them to do. And yet, they look around them and their land is broken. They're crops have failed, they're under political oppression, they're weak, they're broken, and yet God comes to them and says, Malachi chapter 1 verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, but the Israelites say, how have you loved us? Look around. Does this look like a nation that's under your blessing? How have you loved us? And God's answer is not Esau, Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob. He invokes, he recalls the fact that the people of Jacob were selected by God, elected by God, rescued by God. And so throughout the Old Testament, from before Joshua to the time of Joshua, after Joshua to the end of the Old Testament, the reason for their commitment to God, for their maintenance of their allegiance to God, This is the reason that they're given, because God has rescued you, because God has blessed you. And for that reason, commit to God, stay with God. And so the memory of God's great rescue, that sustains the whole of Israel's commitment throughout the Old Testament. When we move to the New Testament, you find in many places the same language used to describe the Old Testament exodus, the Old Testament rescue of the people of God by God is used to describe the work of Jesus as a greater rescue in Jesus Christ. I'm just going to give you one example. When Jesus in his birth narrative, you know, 
pregnant Mary is brought to Simeon. Um, Simeon's song, he goes, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And this song that Simeon's quoting is from Isaiah 52, and that whole stretch of the Old Testament talks about a coming new exodus, a coming new rescue of the people of God. And so this, and in many, many, many places, there are all of these allusions to how Jesus' work within the New Testament is a, a repetition, a greater, an amplification of the rescue that the people of God experienced in the Old Testament. Now, I would love to unpack this today, but I know that I've already told you that you don't need to wear your seatbelts today. So I'm just going to, I know that half of you are like, yes, I'd really like Raj to go on about this more. And uh, for that reason, I'm just going to put this in the slide. So those of you who are interested, look up this document. It'll point you to a whole series of Bible studies on all of the New Testament references to the Exodus or of understanding Jesus' work as a new or a greater Exodus. All right? So uh, this is for all of you who are really excited about going on with this. So for the rest of you, um, let's come back to what we started off with. How do we sustain our commitment to God? despite disappointment, despite the loss of something that we've held precious, the failure to achieve something that we've really, really wanted and that we've trusted God for? How do we sustain our commitment to God despite these things? Well, the answer is that you don't build your commitment to following God on those things in the first place. You build your commitment to God on the fact that He has already rescued you, that He has already blessed you, and that the greatest manifestation of His rescue for of you was Jesus' work on the cross. And so it's a backward-looking commitment to remain with God, to continue to follow God despite disappointment. I've had my own share of disappointments and um, um, a number of you are aware that one of my biggest ones was um, was about the middle of last year. Um, I had been courting a girl for um, about three years, and we had intended to get married in, in about December or something. Uh, obviously, that didn't happen. Um, so we broke up in the middle of uh, of last year, about July, and that was one of the most painful things that I've I've ever been through because um, you've spent three years, you know, kind of navigating your life by these stars. You've kind of built everything around it. You've built your house and arranged the furniture, more metaphorically, you know, all around this idea. And my parents and her parents were all kind of getting ready for this. And then one day you come back and the house is gone, you know. It's not even on fire or, or in ashes, you know. There's just this big gaping hole in the ground and everything's gone. You know, what you've built yourself on for, for three years. And um, I know a few other experiences that I've been on of such profound, exquisite disappointment um, of, feeling, of feeling lost, of feeling, of feeling homeless, of feeling, of feeling defeated, of feeling I did everything right, you know? I... I thought I did everything right. You know, I did the praying thing. I did the waiting thing. I did the doing all the things that, you know, people were supposed to do. I did the right things. 
And yet, it's loss. And I remember times of, of praying to God, and I regret, and God should have struck me dead with lightning when I prayed these kind of things, but He didn't. And I remember praying to God, um, God, you let me down. God, I trusted you. I trusted you with this. I thought you'd see me through. I took risks based on this. I believed you. And now this, you've let me down. How can I continue? How can, I, how can you ask me to trust you again? How can you ask me to follow you again? How can I continue to commit to you? Knowing that you've let me down this much. And I was wrong. I, I, I know this. Um, with the distance of time, you know, I'm able to talk about it now. I'm able to look back at it now. And I know that I was wrong to feel that way. But, but at the time, it was real. Um, and even now, when I come across people who are experiencing disappointment, I know how, how real that is. But one of the things that sustained me during that time, um, I mean, one of the things that sustained me was, was some of you guys. I'm, I'm grateful. Um, Shing, Kokfai, Sengeng, Chuen, um, my CG, Jaan, now, um, all of you guys for being near me at that time. That made a big difference. Um, but one of the things under that that sustained my faith to God throughout was the memory that he has saved me, he has given his son for me, and he owes me nothing else. He owes me nothing else. He's already, already given me the greatest gift. And no matter what else I lose or I fail to get, no matter what else, um, I owe God my allegiance, my commitment, and I will continue to follow him. And so, a word to the disappointed among you. Um, for To three groups of people. Um, the first group of people is to those of you who have been disappointed by God at some point in the past. And, and you haven't lost your faith. You haven't lost your belief in the gospel. And yet the, the scar left over from the disappointment hinders you from being able to follow God with your all right now. And to you I say... The same thing that Joshua said to his people when he calls for commitment. Remember God's greatest rescue of you. Remember that his son has died on the cross for you. Remember that he has blessed you. And that alone and always is enough to command your commitment to him. And so if that's you, I call you one more time. You know, Choose this day who you will serve and serve our Jehovah God. And to a second group of people, those who are, who are kind of experiencing disappointment right now for some reason, um, if you've lost something that's precious to you or you find that you've struggled, you've waited for something that you haven't got, a child, a spouse, a relationship, something going on with your career or your work, an illness that you've experienced for months or years and you've prayed for healing and that has not yet come. If you find your faith flickering as you 
deal with that kind of disappointment right now. To you, I say, hang in there, you know. I'm afraid to tell you now, you know. Um, never mind, get over it, you know, because God has saved you. Uh, I fear to do that because if you had told me this six months ago, I would have punched you in the nose. Um, and if some of you go back and you find your disappointed friends and you tell them this and you come next week with a bandage on your nose, I will have no sympathy for you whatsoever. Um, maybe the time for theology, maybe the time for, for this is not now in the midst of your disappointment, but I just ask you to hang in there, to persevere, and a time will come when you're healed when it will be easier for you to look back and remember that this is the way back to God, that He has loved you. Remember this. And to a third group of people, and I really hope that most of you guys fall within this. Not that you are going to get disappointed. I really hope that doesn't happen to you. But those of you who haven't experienced such faith-shaking disappointment in the past, for most of you, sooner or later, um, you're going to go through this. You're going to go through bereavement. You're going to lose someone dear to you. You're going to lose your faculties, your body, your, Ill, your, your, your health. Um, sooner or later, right? You know, we're all winding down. Um, sooner or later, you will experience disappointment. And my prayer is that now, before that happens, you would build your house upon the rock, that you'd build your commitment to God upon the fact that He has saved you, the fact that He has rescued you, because that is the one thing that will not be shaken when that time of disappointment comes, and that when those storms come, you will hold on to God, and that you will not lose your faith in Him. And the people said to Joshua, verse 21, no, we will serve the Lord. And then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. And he said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the Lord of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. And so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. They made that decision on that day based on what God has already done to follow Him. And I pray that we'll do that today. And so it's 10.20 now. And what I want us to do is I want us to spend some time um, in prayer. What we're going to do is this. I'd like you to just get together in, in you know, twos or threes and whoever's around you. Um, and what I'd like you to do is just let the other person know which of these three groups of people you, you think is most relevant to you. Are you one of those who's experienced disappointment and that's, you still carry that and that hinders your walk with God now? Are you one who's experiencing a disappointment right now? Or are you one who, God bless you, you haven't been through that but you want to strengthen yourself now in this time of commitment that in the future, should that happen to you, should you experience disappointment, that you would still hold strong to God. I would like you to share that with that one person. I would like you guys to pray with each other for one another. You don't need to share the details. We're just going to do this for about you know, five to ten minutes. 
And at the end of that, I'm going to call up um, Tenny and the worship team. Uh, we will sing, um, This Is My Desire, and after that, we will close. Now, for those of you who would prefer to have someone else pray with you, one of, I mean, me or, or one of the elders or Pastor Kokfai, um, you can come up to the front row seats, and one of us will talk to you, and one of us will pray with you. Can we do that now for about 10 minutes? And you'll know when to close when I call uh, Tianyi to come up.